So this is a really unique episode today because uh, it's Mike Birbiglia working out. Um, <laughs> today's guest is Elise Myers, who is a storyteller um, who I found on TikTok and Instagram. It's a very unusual way for me to find somebody. Um, she hasn't performed live, but she ended up um, creating a podcast that I love called Funny Because It's True, uh, where she has guests. I was a guest on it. Um, she tells uh, stories. I'll just give you a sense of th- the types of stories that she sometimes tells. This is, this is one of them. Literally up until the night we took August home from the hospital, I had no clue what postpartum depression even was. I truly thought that postpartum was like a timestamp, the time in which this kind of depression happens, not the type. I had it all wrong. <laughs> Unfortunately, I realized this a little too late. I was in it and I was um, fighting my way out one morning, afternoon, and night at a time. One of those mornings, I woke up around 3.30 a.m. to feed my son, and I just could not fall back asleep. The last thing I wanted to do was get back in bed and just like be awake. That's even more frustrating than just not being able to sleep in the first place. So I went straight to my kitchen, and I made myself a coffee. And then out of nowhere, I just started trying to mentally connect the person I was in college with this person now who's grabbing a cup out of my cupboard, who's grabbing ice trays out of the freezer, who's grabbing almond milk out of the fridge. These hands I'm looking at are the same hands. They took notes in school. They played viola in orchestra. They zipped up a wedding dress. They held my husband's hand, typed on my keyboard for work. Why don't these hands feel like my hands? As I was looking down, I noticed my sweatshirt sleeves rolled up twice, the classic Elise double roll. I remembered why I started rolling my sleeves this way in the first place and how cool it made me feel the first time I did it. It was like my current self and my past self shook hands and met in that very moment. So that was Elise Myers, and I, I went on her podcast in the fall. Her, her podcast is called Funny Because It's True uh, with Elise Myers, and um, and then I have her on today and because I, I am convinced uh, she should be telling stories on stage. I mean, I'm partial. I'm obsessed with people telling stories on stage, but I try to convince her of it today on the show. Uh, we work out some material. We tell stories. It's a super, super fun episode. Um, some really exciting news. I'll be in London with The Old Man and the Pool at the Wyndham's Theatre September 12th through October 7th, 30 performances. I'm doing one week at the Edinburgh Fringe in Scotland, August 22 through 27. And I think you're going to love this episode. If, if you want to follow Elise Myers, you can listen to her podcast, Funny Because It's True, in all the platforms. You can follow her on TikTok or Instagram, at Elise Myers. Enjoy my conversation with the great Elise Myers. You talk about postpartum depression that you experienced and and how, and you describe it, and I'm going to do a terrible job of explaining this, but you describe it through the specificity of your hands yeah. and you're going through depression. And it was one of those things where I was like, you have this really specific approach, which is attacking a really macro idea with mundane, smaller things. Yeah. And I was just curious, like, how do you arrive at that? Well, I, honestly, I think that it comes from like, I can't interpret postpartum depression for anybody else. I can't interpret most common shared experiences through any other lens of my own. And so to me, it's like, 
if I try and personalize something so big to so small, it's like, this is how I experience this thing. In one part of my brain, I'm like, well, then that's not relevant to anybody else because that's just your experience. But in doing that and breaking it to such a like a molecular level of like my postpartum depression was experienced and started to, I kind of like found my way out of it by looking in my hands and going, these are the same hands you got married with. Like people hear that. And though it feels so personal to me, they're like, no, I have felt that too. But because it's so specific, they feel like you're reading their mind. And that is like an instant connection point. It's not, I'm not trying to manipulate anybody. I'm not trying to like make this relatable. I just, I want to give people such specific information about my life and my feelings and the way I experience something so that just on the off chance that they have also experienced that, I don't have to explain to you anything else about postpartum depression. Yeah. And I know, or you know that I know that we have experienced the same thing. Yeah. And I think that like, that's my goal is like, I want to talk about big things, big things, but make them feel like you're reading my diary in like yeah. a non-traumatic way. <laughs> like yeah. not like so uncomfortable that you're like, I shouldn't be reading this, but yeah. like so personal that you're like, me too, same. And it's interesting because like, you're talking about like using the specific to convey a universal and like, that's, you know, that's an idea that people talk about in writing all the time, but you do it so effectively. And because I found like when I was hearing you tell that story, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally know what she means. And yet I did not do that. Yeah. I did not look at my hands. I did not blah, blah, blah. But for me, it's like kind of like my sleepwalking story where it's like I jumped through a second story window. Very few people have done that. Right. Um, But I I hope not a lot. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully you tell, I tell the story in a way where people go, Oh, I have a thing like that where I'm uncomfortable telling that right. about myself. Well, you the way that you do, and I, I feel like we're similar in this, is that you're not talking so much about the experience. You're talking about how you internalized it. Yeah. And that is what makes it relatable as well. Because it's like someone doesn't have to have had to jump out of a second story window, but you can explain how it felt, what you were thinking. And like yeah. that whole that's a whole journey that you can feel about messing up someone else's name when like calling out their coffee order. That doesn't have to be so extreme. Like someone with anxiety can literally feel like messing up someone's name is like jumping out of a second story window. And like, those are the same feelings. And so being able to, to express that internal dialogue that's happening with you in your life is like the most crucial part, I think, of making any situation relatable to somebody. It's interesting, like there, Jessica Gross wrote this piece in the Times recently about, um, she was talking about Maggie Smith's book that just came out and John Mulaney's comedy special that just came out and um, and how both of them call out that they're telling autobiographical stories, but this is what I'm, this is the part I'm choosing to tell you. Mm. And um, and they just hang a lantern on it. And yeah. that was really interesting. And it's like, I was thinking about with your stuff, like, do you have a code for yourself of like, I'm not gonna talk about these things? I think that some of it is a feeling, some of it's pre-decided. like I think that if it's not my story to tell, that's an immediate no. Like if it's not, if I'm breaking the, like crossing a line of like sharing information that it's just not mine, like that's not a story I tell. But then there's stuff that is mine to tell, but it directly affects people that I love. And that's, if if they're not the ones that have decided to be in this position and in the spotlight, like they've not asked for this life. Like, so that's not fair either. So there's there's some of that, and then some of it's like I just want my some of my life to be private, and yeah. and I want my family to feel like we're still a family, and it's yeah. not the three of us, and then the rest of the world as well, also in our home all the time. Yeah, and so a lot of it is like just between me 
and my husband, like we share stories about us. We don't really talk about our son very much or like, yeah. um, yeah, we, we try and have these like very loose boundaries that are probably going to change and, and sometimes grow and sometimes get much closer and, you know, keep things more close to us. But I know that there are things that we don't share, but it's kind of just a figure it out as we go. But some things you just have a gut feeling of like, this just isn't my story to tell. Yeah. Do, do you have a very clear cut My answer? Mine's pretty clear. It's like, there's people in my life who I talk about a lot, like my wife, Jenny, and our daughter, Una, um, and my brother, Joe, and my parents. And, uh, but I, but uh, yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't post photos of my daughter yeah. and like that. I, I feel like that's her life. Right. And I, I, and I think increasingly I'm talking less about her. Like in the last show, yeah. she has like five or six lines. Whereas in the new one, when she was a baby, oh, I feel like it's, it's, it could be any baby, the things that yeah, occur, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm curious, like for you specifically, and I know that's your podcast, so you can cut all this up, but like, yeah. how, what is it like? doing all of this while still having a family and like how do you how do you balance that cuz i'm trying to find that right now um i don't think it's possible okay that's a really honest answer some bad news for you <laughs> thank you no i Not think possible. i mean one thing i'm lucky about is is that my wife jenny is a poet and and she reads my stuff and i read her stuff and yeah. we we interact on you know, and so if she, if there's stuff that she doesn't like, and I didn't say that, I said more like this, and blah blah blah. We we talk it out, and a lot That's of times cool. over the years, you know, with the new one, she was a writer, accredited writer on the show, and 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 it's like, I feel like we get through it, but it's also doesn't mean it's not challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely like, you know, because in marriage you have two people who are witnessing almost identical events yeah. and remembering them two very different ways. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so like... <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. So I'm like kidding. I have a joke. And I'll, usually I do this in the material section, but I'll just say a joke yeah. that I have that's new at my show, which is like many years ago we were in Chicago. Jenny and I are on an elevator, a hotel elevator coming down. We had stayed in the hotel before. And I said to her, I go... It just occurred to me, oh, we stayed in this hotel before and, and you loved the cafe in the lobby. And then her response was, she goes, who did? And I was like, oh, no, because who did? The She's sub- like, who else did you stay here with? Right. You got that very quickly. Sometimes the audiences don't get it as quickly. So the subtext of it is, A, you know, that wasn't me. That B, that must have been someone else you were seeing. See, I'm not happy about this. And we get to the lobby, doors open, and uh, she goes, "I love this cafe." And I was like, "I almost died in the elevator." And you just <laughs> casually remembered that I'm right. So anyway, so now Jenny and I, we have a safe word in our marriage, and it's "who did," and it's when we re- we remember an event differently. Wow. Yeah, it's. It's 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 involved. That is a very that's a so many layers because I could see someone interpreting that as like, did I love it or did you love it, or like, did I love it or did someone else that you saw stayed here with love it? Oh yeah, that's that's how I would have interpreted the who did first, but then right. the second time, no, that's it, he thought it was someone else. I don't even know. Like literally over the years, we've had a lot of who dids. I mean, that's the thing about. I mean, in, this speaks to storytelling in a general sense too. It's like, it's like, 
we're all remembering things in different ways. Oh, the absolutely. way we perceive everything. Like, like I'm very visual. Yeah. And Jen has an extraordinary sense of hearing and smell. And my sense of smell is junk. junk. Great. Right? <laughs> love that so for you. I <laughs> love that for you. <laughs> so, like, she'll be like, I smell mildew. And I'm like, I smell nothing. <laughs> I haven't smelled anything for years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. First of all, I am the smell, 100%. Jonas, yeah. Jonas is the auditory. I am the smell. I am the long-term memory. Jonas is the short-term memory. Like, I cannot remember what happened yesterday, but I could literally word for word, detail for detail, tell you the time that I, like, sucked on a penny to get out of school and ended up actually accidentally faking an appendicitis. And every single thing the doctors said, like— Slept on a penny? Sucked on a penny. Sucked on a penny. I heard okay. a, yeah, yeah. I heard a rumor that if you sucked on a penny, it would make your mouth really hot. And you remember, like, the temperature, like, thermometers that had the blue dots? that you like sure. yeah and so it, it like was off the charts and she's like oh my gosh so then did a digital one and then she was like you need to go to the hospital right now like 110 degree like so hot from this penny wow have you heard that do you hear this story i've heard no no I've oh, okay heard. well so then yeah so then i so then i'm like faking it and i'm really trying to sell it because my first two friends went in before me and they yeah. couldn't sell it and yeah. then, so i was like well it's up to me now you know what i mean i really want to go home so now i'm like i'm very unwell and she's like you need to go to the doctor. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not what, I just wanted to go home. I don't want to go to the doctor. Right. That like ruins the whole point. Yeah. So then I'm going to the doctor and the doc, and I'm like, now I'm like, I have a sidic, like my lower, my side. And, and my doctor's like, you need to take her across the street to like the pediatrician, like hospital, like, or, uh, you know, child hospital right now. And how old are you at this point? I'm in second grade. Oh, wow. Like, re- and then now I'm trying to like, from the doctors, to the hospital, trying to tell them like, I was lying, but now they think I'm telling the, I'm like lying about lying because they think right. I just don't want to go to the hospital. Right. And they were like, you definitely have an appendicitis. You're in denial. And I was like, I do not. Yeah. I just wanted a day off. Like, please oh. do not like take me to the hospital. I was admitted for three days no. because they could not believe that I was lying because I kept, they just were, thought I was afraid. At that point, you had told them. Everyone. I had told everybody. I, I was, and, I tried to fake yeah. you out. I and tried they were to like, well, now we have to check. Because because with a kid, they're very cautious about like parent and child dynamic and like, oh are you safe at home? Like all of that. So all of that was happening. And I'm just, I, I just felt so bad. And I'm trying to tell my mom I'm, I lied. So she's trying to tell them that I lied. And then that makes it look worse because if a parent's like, their kids are lying, then that's like, makes it even, it was, right. it was a whole situation. And finally I got lying? out. Yeah. And I, I shared a room why with a girl. Why do they feel like they have to lie? Yes. Why did, why does she need, why does she need to lie to get out of school? Like all of it. <laughs> and I shared um, a room with a girl that was actually like had an appendicitis and it was like, I'm, a, I'm about to burst. Like, get me out of here. Like my appendix doesn't want to be in my body anymore. And I'm just sitting there like, can I order another thing of mashed potatoes? Because those yeah. were so good. Oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. So I got my day off. You but, were there for um, three days. Three days. Oh my god! I don't remember why I started that story. Oh, the sucked on a penny. Memory. Oh, memory. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. See, no short-term memory, but I have a very good. <laughs> <laughs> See. See. <laughs> why were you saying? Yeah. Why were you? you the, that is. <laughs> why were we talking about that memory? See. See? Very strong. <laughs> that was great. Very strong and seen. <laughs> and this is our improv group. It's yeah. Mike. It's the Mike and Elise show. Support for Working Out comes from Aura Frames. We all love taking photos on our phones, right? But there's so many of them. 
hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of photos wasting away in your camera roll. Stop scrolling through so many photos. Start putting them to good use with a unique, stylish digital picture frame from Aura Frames. I got one of them right by my bedside. It's like a slideshow of photos that I really like from my of my family that sort of scrolls through on this little frame, this little picture frame. I love it. Free unlimited storage. You can add unlimited photos and videos. Invite as many people as you want to a frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees or subscriptions, and it's private. You have complete control over who has access to your frame. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code WIO. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com, code W-I-O. Terms and conditions apply. Support for Mike Birbiglia's Working It Out comes from Helix Sleep. Helix has been with this podcast from the very beginning. We are huge Helix mattress fans over here. Let me tell you a few things that are great about Helix Sleep mattresses. They are fiberglass-free. Unlike other brands, Helix mattresses do not contain fiberglass, which can be harmful to your health. As you may have seen in the news or on social media, there have been a number of health issues and lawsuits related to fiberglass and mattresses. You know, actually, I used to, I used to have a mattress that was pure fiberglass. It was just, it was literally a bed of fiberglass. No longer. I sleep on Helix mattresses, which are fiberglass-free. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs. That's helixsleep.com slash burbigs. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. No, now. That's why I emailed you this week, though. I go, I was like, I was listening to our episode, and we talk about how you don't perform on stage. Yeah. And I think you're a wonderful storyteller, and I feel like you could really connect with people in a per- if you were in a room with them in a way that what you do on, on socials is is deep, but I think that in a room could be deep in a different way. Yeah. And you, <laughs> and on, a, on your podcast, which I love, uh, <laughs> you said, I'm just terrified of, of terrified. being in front of people. And then I was like, so then I was, I'm doing a bunch of shows. I'm working on new material. And I was like, you know, you could just, if you wanted to, you could just pop in, be an unbuilt guest. You know, no one would know you. Yeah. It would just be like, my friend Elise is yeah. here. She's going to tell a story for seven minutes and yeah. whatever. And then you could, then you wouldn't be afraid of it anymore. And then you were like. That's definitely how it works too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've definitely accurate. Uh, burned. Burned. The, uh, no, that's on me. That's not on you. I love that you're so confident in yourself that you're like, and then it's done. You're cured. And then that's it. <laughs> Weirdly, I believe that to be true, and I stand by it. I, I believe I believe that you believe that, 100%. A, a, a burned man <laughs> no. standing before you. I, I, I double down. No. I double down that on is, it. But that is why you're doing what you're doing, is because you you have such confidence. And I know I can. I'm not, I don't think I can't do it. I know I can do it. Of course it. you and can like, do it. It's the, it's. You want to know what it is? Honestly, it's the fear that like I can't blame it on anyone else but me. I get that. And with online, I don't have to have any immediate reaction from anybody. I tell a story that I find funny, and if you don't like it, 
then you're just not going to see the, the video and that's fine because I don't have to see your reaction. I don't have to go in the comments. I can yeah. blame it on the algorithm if it doesn't do well. Like yeah. there are so many things that, that can play into a video not getting seen. And so if I am standing in front of an audience and I say something and it is silent, I think I would just start crying. Like, like genuinely, I, I am so... I, I fake so much confidence that yeah. that would be a moment I could feel that a confidence would genuinely crumble. Yes. Now, will that stop me from doing it? No, because like I do not want there to be anything in my life that I was like too afraid to do, so yeah. I just didn't do it. So I want to get to that point, but yeah. but now it's to the point where it's like the skill of writing a set that is concise and like performable in front of people and not edit edited like that is what I don't have and so I don't I wouldn't even know where to start if you're to be like here's seven well, then minutes I'll tell you where to start yes so take the story you just told uh, about faking sick and you just memorize it you already know it yeah you go on stage in an environment like being a guest at on one of my shows where like pe- people aren't expecting to see you and yeah, they yeah, go yeah. Oh, okay what's this. You do three minutes, you tell that story. I'm just going to tell you one story tonight, and it might not be funny. And then you tell the story, <laughs> you walk off stage, and you but go, you ah, to- there's a couple laughs. There's a laugh, uh-huh. here's a laugh, here's a laugh, here's a laugh, here. How come this didn't get a laugh? And then you start mm-hmm. to take it apart and just go like, like, oh, okay, if I supplemented a joke here or I dropped in a joke that I tell usually in another story here or yeah. add color here. And I think like, because here's my question to you is like, it's like what, like in your mind, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like if I if I if I threw you on stage in a black box theater with a hundred people in the audience, like what, like and and it's like, hey, just do walk up and tell a story for three or four minutes, just yeah. like we're doing now. But there's a hundred people. What's yeah. the worst thing that can happen? I think honestly, the worst thing that could happen is like. Well, I'm terrified of fainting in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> That's, <a> good, <laughs> That's like a good number answer, one good thing. Answer. But second, like. I don't know how you do it with like, if someone has one impression of you, that's the only time they're ever gonna might see you on yeah. and a performance, and they're gonna walk away, and that is the thing they're gonna remember about you. And yes. that's hard to change once somebody has formed an opinion of like she's not good at this. Yeah. Like it's really hard to come back from that versus like someone being really good at something once and then being terrible at it the next time, being like, oh, but she's actually good. I, I saw her last time; she's really good. So I don't. I that's just a confidence thing too. Like like not caring like. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a double step uh, process for you getting on stage because okay. I'm taking I'm taking apart all of the I love this I'm taking away all the very well they they say this I mean this is like an old thing in sales It's like it's like if someone doesn't want to buy something go take through all, all yeah all take yeah. away all their objections be like okay what about this what about this how you know yeah. and with yours it's like okay well people will be like oh she's not good at this well then we do a thing where. I do a show somewhere, you're not billed, no one knows you're there. What I does go, that mean, build? People, it's not featuring Elise okay, Myers. Okay. I thought you meant like invoiced, like, <laughs> like I'm going to bill her for that. I'm just like, I didn't realize that's how that worked. That feels backwards. So I charge you $40,000 to walk on stage with me because honestly, it's going to pay off in the long it is. term. It's an investment in your future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're the on my thing. stage. This is great for you. It's, my, it. it's my weird pyramid scheme in, the, in my middle age. And you go and get, you get 10 comedians and you can take a cut of that 40 
grand. And at the end of the day, you'll be a millionaire. You have a real conspiratorial mind, Elise Myers. (laughs) I'm just afraid of everything. Yeah, exactly. You're really, you're really throwing punches where there's no foe. I've seen so many documentaries about MLMs. It's amazing. No, so here's the plan. Here's the plan. You, so we're in Madison, you're unbilled. In other words, it doesn't say Elise Myers anywhere on the thing. Yeah. It's just a Mike Birbiglia show. Um, in the middle of the show, I go, oh, my friend is here tonight. She's one of my favorite storytellers. I'm going to bring her on stage. Please welcome my buddy, Elise Myers. And she, you come on stage. We have two microphones. I go, will you tell the story about this? You tell the story. We're both on stage. And then you're like, oh, okay. And then, then it's like the two-person thing. It's and really then you go, cool. well, what would it be like if it was one person, just me, the next time? Wow. It's like a stair step. I really like that. I really like that. I think, honestly, like, any anything is possible. It's not I, – I really genuinely feel like the fears that you're asking me about and I'm telling you about yeah. aren't things that are going to keep me from doing it from this point forward. Yeah. It's just like this is the irrational thing that's happening in my brain that gets in the way as I try and write. And so the longer that I've been in this career, too, and the more people I've met and the bigger the crowds that I've I've spoken to just mm-hmm. about, like, even yesterday, the event, things oh, like so that. Oh, so you've like, done that, which is the same thing, basically. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, it, but the, the pressure like to you make didn't people event, right. you didn't laugh. Event, you did an event yesterday where you were kind of on a panel. Right, yeah, it was yeah. me, someone asking just me questions, yeah. Right. But the, the pressure to be funny, that is the part that is, like, the, the scary part for me. Because right. I can, I feel very comfortable talking. It's like, it's just, I don't know, it's like this weird, um, it's like when I when I get asked to like act in something, I'm yes. aware that you know I'm acting, and so I feel like I'm lying, and you're like she's lying, she's yeah, acting, yeah. this isn't her. So the 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 weird understanding of like I'm at a comedy show and this person's gonna make me laugh is that is what's interesting because that that pressure isn't in a in a TikTok because nobody knows the point of a video when it starts. Okay, it, whatever happens in the video happens, and it's like so so at a comedy show the expectation is like you need to be funny, you need to make me laugh, mm-hmm. and then that's where I feel like if I don't meet that I've totally failed. But it's just that that just comes from an experience, and so um, I think that learning how to structure a story and and honestly, I was going to ask you, like, so if I were to tell a story on a stage, the because it's like uh, the punchline situation, like yeah. um, <laughs> the punchline like, situation. I mean, the, I mean, like the actual. That should joke be the name part. of your comedy. <laughs> the whole, this whole punchline situation. Yeah, yeah. Look, listen. <laughs> and if I always fail, just like go to like Jerry Seinfeld. Like, you like jazz? Like, just go straight there. It's like the comedy equivalent of like. And then I found five dollars, kind of a thing. But anyways, um, I don't follow that. Oh, <laughs> like. What? Have you ever been telling a horror? Maybe it's not a well-known thing. Maybe it's my brothers and me. You know, like when you're telling a story and someone's like, this is not an interesting story. And then you're like, and then I found five dollars. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> and then someone's like, oh my God, no way. And so you're, it makes everything else you just said completely irrelevant. Did you make that up? I don't know. I thought everyone did that. You thought that that was like a street joke. Like, yeah, uh, like, me and my brothers, like it's common domain. Well, yeah, but then me and my brothers domain. like burn each other because if you're telling a really like boring story, yeah. you're like, did you find $5 Oh after my God, that? that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. well, my, joke, my joke about that is that in that universe is that I go, like once a week, my dad will call me and he'll be like, the craziest thing happened. I'm like, what? He'll be like, I was at the hardware store and I was, and I was talking to someone and they had heard of you. And I was like, that's not the craziest thing. That's not a story <laughs> is that the, even. Is that I mean, the crazy? That is a fact. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, even that's a story. That's just a thing that happened. That is a fact about your day. <laughs> yeah. I find that very often people will come up to me and they'll be like, 
I have the craziest story. And then they tell it and you go, you're kind of waiting for the story to start. Yeah. But actually last night I was I was doing this benefit show um, where a guy actually told me one that was pretty good. Like when he first met his wife, like his, I think his, I think it was his mother-in-law um, was making chicken and they ran out of chicken. And then she offered, uh, she was like, she was offering everybody more chicken and someone said yes and there wasn't chicken. So she literally did the thing where she covered uh, bones with skin and put it on someone's plate. And then the person <laughs> was just like, but what it, this is not chicken. And it was like one of the rare moments where I was like, this is a pretty good story. This is a party or just like what's happening? Yeah. It was like him, I think it was him meeting his wife many years ago. And it was like, hey, is the in-laws. Did, did people watch it happen? Like, I think watch? so. I think it was like pretty outward facing at the party. Like it was a thing that happened. <laughs> I know, and I was like, that's I have so many questions. No, but I don't have the answers. It's not my story. <laughs> but I did, th- I said to him, I go, usually people tell oh me stories God. and they're not that great. And that actually that's is kind a, of a great tidbit. I would love for someone to tell me that story for 10 minutes with every detail that I possibly could <sighs> get. All right, but back to you performing. Yeah. So yeah. like, okay, then this is the key, this is the key pivot. This is where it becomes actualized. Yeah. What's the upside? Of you telling a story on stage, um, I conquer one of my greatest fears, and it's a huge success. And I two keep doing it, three, and I become wildly successful four. as a stand-up comedian. And okay, I have a lot of fun doing it. That's five. I'll give you six. You make people happy. Oh, yeah. I think you would. We can do it. You'd make people happy. Thank you. People I would be so that. happy. <laughs> Thank you. I just think there's there's nothing that compares to the live experience. Although yeah. I have to say, like, like what is the thing that when you're making these videos that's most gratifying? So I've talked about it a little bit. I have three like values that I. It sounds so serious, but like I have three values that I I cycle every single piece of content through is or filter through is uh, to make people feel no, like known, loved, and like they belong. Aww. And which is like so sappy. It's like that's not funny. That's but but with all of that's. When I tell stories that people can relate to, that's like the known. It's like that's why it's funny is like that's me in that story. Or yeah. like when I encourage people, I want them to feel loved if they don't have that in their life. And like like they belong, I want to build that community in my content, which is why I'm always in my comments and why I don't tell jokes that put other people down. And like that's just because that's my style of comedy. Yeah. And so those three things are my goal. And so while that might not sound funny – comedy can happen through those and still bring a lot of value to people's life. So at the end yeah. of the day, the laugh is great, but that's not the end goal. It's to make people feel known, loved, or like they belong. This is called, this is called yeah. the slow round. What's a, what's a song that makes you cry? Oh, gosh. I'm, <laughs> this answer is going to be very unexpected. I'm not like a religious person, but during Christmas time, when I hear Mary, did you know, it really gets me. <laughs> I don't know it. Can the, you sing the melody? Yeah. Mary, did you know when your baby boy gives sight to a blind man? It's like, ta- it's a song talking to Mary about her son. Like, did you know your son was going to be Jesus? Like, I think this must be like a local Omaha thing. It's really not. I Clay Aiken sang never, it. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. Gary, have you, you know? heard of it? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Oh, it's a big song. It's a huge song. Oh, it's a big song. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But it's feel it because now, especially being a mom, I don't, that song, I'm just like, my son's going to be great one day. <laughs> like, it's 
it's a very it's your a son's going to be Jesus. No, no, but it like it's a very powerful image of like talking to a mom about like, did you have any clue like what your son would do one oh, day? Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. It's a little bit like Dear Theodosia's like that, yeah. Where it's like emotional in this kind of a letter to my child. Yeah. Kind now, of way. whether you believe the 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 stories that are being sung about, yeah, the theme is like. This man did these great things, and you're singing to the mom of this man of like, did you have any clue he would do? Th-? And that's a very powerful image. That song always makes me cry. Yeah, that's a good one. What about you? Um, I can't make you love me, Bonnie Raitt. Okay. What's a specific place um, that isn't your home that where you feel like home? Man, that isn't my home that I feel like home. This isn't like a place, but it's like a place within any place is on the floor mm. behind like a chair or couch where I'm like hiding. I love that. It feels so dark. No, <laughs> no, I don't think it's dark. I really like being in small spaces that feel like my own that I'm like, I'm good. No one's going to come like bother me here. You're I, like it's a cat. Good, yeah, I'm a cat. My cats do that. Yeah, I'm a they, cat. You can, you have cats? No, I, I am a cat. You are a cat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, my cats go places and we're like, I guess the cats ran away. Like, <laughs> I think she died down there. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. But but we can't find them. Yeah. We're just like, I guess they got out. Yeah. That um, was like always my signal to my roommates that like I would work on the floor. I'd have my laptop on the ground. And we had a table. We have chairs. Like I could have gone anywhere. But we had a couch that was like um, kind of back to facing like the sliding door to our balcony. And I would lay on the floor and do all of my homework there. And it was kind of like this unspoken thing of like if I'm here – kind of just like life is a little bit too much and I yeah. just want to be here and do my work and I'll come out and everything will be good and we don't have to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's that's a very good like hard read set for me. I love that. Thanks. I have a deep connection to like my parents' childhood carpet. Mm. Like when I was a kid, their bedroom carpet in the summer when, because they had the only air conditioning unit in the house. And so when it got super hot in Massachusetts in the summer and it got really I would go in and sleep on the floor, and I remember the, the smell of the carpet. Would the carpet get cold if you if like yeah. you walked in? I love that. It's nice. Oh. I'm very yeah, very nostalgic for me. Um, <laughs> you talk about this one of your stories. Maybe you don't want to do it. Do you remember the toughest crush from your childhood? <sighs> yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It was a boy I really, really liked, and and we dated, and he was like my best friend, and we actually dated twice. The first time, he asked me out as a prank, and like, yes, yeah, and I then say. we like dated, but like didn't talk for the whole week. We dated, and then like I got broken up with by like a casual conversation, like we're not dating still, right? Right, of course. Um, and the second time we. Um, we dated for like a year and we were like best friends and we just never, we were never meant to date. We were always meant to be best friends, but we didn't know that because you think if you like someone and they're the opposite gender and you're in high school, then the natural next step is like, then we should date, but like never like just stay friends. Yeah. And we, uh, we dated and then one day we were like, we should just go back to being best friends. Mm. And uh, we just did and nothing changed. Like we were just like very, very good friends and we still communicate today and it's like, Really, really sweet. What's your takeaway from the experience? I think that like not everything that you, not everything that's good needs to be elevated to be more than that. Like sometimes it's okay that like something that's like good, it just leave it at good. It doesn't have to be be. like great. Like, yeah, because great could ruin good and like just leave it good sometimes. (laughs) 
Support for Working It Out comes from Viore. Viore is a clothing company that draws inspiration from the coastal California lifestyle. I was thrilled that they were willing to be a sponsor because I could just talk about how soft and comfortable their clothing is all the time. I mean, I'll read the stuff they told me to say. It's uh, It inspires others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it does that. But also, my experience is just very, very comfortable. Viore offsets 100% of their carbon footprint. And since 2019, they've also offset 100% of their plastic footprint. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off. Ooh, that's good. Your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable, versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash burbigs. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping. What? Free shipping on any U.S. orders over 75 bucks and free returns. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Hey, friends. This is a little shout out to my cats, Precious and Mr. Mustache. <laughs> this ad is, is for them. Those are my two cats. I love my pets. I know you love your pets, too. And today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. They offer customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you and me to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO for working it out. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. This is the section of the show called From the Notebook. Oh, yes. And it's, <laughs> I'll start with this one. Um, one morning I'm at a cafe and I dropped, Una was three at the time, at the like, musical camp or ballet or some kind of group activity where you can leave your child for three hours. It could have been like a, a bin that said toddlers. And I would be like, dropped her in and been like, enjoy bin class. <laughs> and so I'm with the other like bin class parents at the cafe. <laughs> and, and I'm exhausted holding a coffee. And I look up to sort of take in the nature of the day. And from about 30 feet in the air, a bird shits in my eye. Like directly into my eye. And first of all, great aim. Bird. Oh, no. Way to go, bird. No. You really nailed it. Second of all, if this hasn't happened to you, all you need to know is that anything dropped from 30 feet in the air in your eye hurts physically a oh, lot. Yes. But when the cumbersome liquid pellet is fecal matter, it hurts spiritually. <laughs> it's a whole emotional. And I shouted. I go, ha. Ah. <laughs> 
or as my daughter Una used to uses when describing her favorite dinosaur, the hooting hydrosaur, I squawked. I squawked. <laughs> I'm gonna need to hear an example of it. It's like ah. Okay. <laughs> so the moment I squawked, my friend Rob, who is with me, knows I'm a comedian, looks over to me, and he goes, "Well, it's good material." Yeah. And I was like, Rob, there's um, there's still bird shit in my eye. <laughs> This is something you say after I've cleaned it up. It's comedy, comedy tragedy plus time, and yeah. I still have the bird. There's shit no time the yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need it. We are gonna need it. Yeah, we're at zero seconds past. Um, and uh, I jogged back into the coffee shop. I asked for a glass of water. Flushed my eye with water. On the plus side, the bird shit really woke me up. <laughs> Which was the point of the cafe in the first place, right? And then, oh uh, God, that's so disgusting. The coffee was nice, but the 70 mile an hour bird shit delivery really closed the deal. Really, I feel like it. they could market that as a bird shit latte. You drink two <laughs> shots of espresso, a bird shits in your eye, 40 bucks. A charte. <laughs> exactly. In Northern California, they'd call it a bird shit cleanse. Oh my God. People would say, Have you done the bird shit cleanse? Fun, a little expensive, but they do have to pay the pigeon wrangler. Yeah. Um, my bird shit experience drove home a larger point in my life, which is that comedy is tragedy plus time, or at very least pain plus a year. <laughs> so as I arrive at middle age, I've started to zero in on my purpose. And I think it's to share stories that weren't funny at the time, but I'd like to think are funny now. And of course, I'm just mocking myself, to be clear. Uh, um <laughs> in my stories because in my stories for the most part I'm the joke later yeah which is harkens back to a like, line from another no special no hate to the bird I loved the bird I just go exactly. really exactly yeah 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 like, the target of the joke yeah, is the yeah. bird somehow <laughs> like let me get this like I want you to get this straight I am not against birds like so driving that home of like no one literally thought you were anti-birds until you are trying to convince me you're not no exactly exactly <laughs> And also Rob is maybe the villain, although Rob is he's really just saying something that's true. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He's like, well, that'll be something. That'll, yeah. And it is. The, the uh, it, I think that comedy is, is you know, tragedy plus time. And you're like, at least pain plus a year. Is yeah. <laughs> that is like, that's a really good point of the story where you, it goes from funny to like heartfelt. Is yeah. like that that's a good little like turn the corner there that moment. Thanks. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, your obviously your podcast is funny because it's true. Yeah, and it's like nice you, you, yeah, you and I like play in the similar sandbox or playing the same sandbox of telling stories. And it's like I always tell people, you know, write you know write down what you're saddest about or angriest about in a journal. Yeah. Sometimes for yourself, like it's helpful to just contextualize your life as yeah. a story. And when you can see your life as a story, you can zoom out and encourage the main character to make better decisions. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I attribute a lot of my memory of like back in the day because I have done so much journaling. I remember reading back what I wrote and that act of like writing, reading and like internalizing helps you understand what you're experiencing and then it also helps you remember it. And so yes. it's really interesting, like if you are a creative in any way, whether it is writing or it's art or anything, I always suggest writing things down because it allows you to add another layer of emotion where it's like you experience things through somebody else in yeah. yourself. Like you see it the way another person would see it in your life. The things are funny just sometimes because they're true is like, 
a really, really beautiful thing because I think too, as things are going really horribly in your life, like I have learned to laugh about them because I know they will be funny later because yeah. I've made them funny now from 10 years ago. And so honestly, it's, it might be labeled as like a trauma response of just like laughing when something horrible happens, you know, yeah. like that might not be healthy, but if you can do it in a healthy way, I think it's like a very good way to separate yourself from like horrible things that are happening at the moment. No, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Do you have any stories you're working out or do you want me to just continue and tell you one more story? Tell me one more story. Okay, great. Usually I just do jokes, but since you're a storyteller, I'm like, I'll tell you stories. I love it. All right. A few years ago, Jenny and I rented a house in the country for the holidays and it was very special um, and, and, until we um, turned on the heat. And then there just wasn't heat. Oh no! Oh no! And it's Thanksgiving. I called the oil company, and they said they could they could come that night between six thirty and nine thirty p.m. with ten gallons of oil to prime the heating system, make sure it's ready for one of those like super tankers of oil that drive around. And, and before this incident, I didn't even know what those things uh, did. Uh, I did. I just saw them driving around. I thought maybe maybe those guys just are just driving around like and they uh and they're listening <laughs> Maybe they to really AM. like driving yeah they just like driving <laughs> they're listening to am talk radio they're making jokes on the cb radio maybe they're just perpetually driving in circles using the oil in the tank that that's just a reserve gas tank exactly yeah so the window was 6 30 to 9 30 and i wait in the doorway and because it's the, one of those things where the i'm like i'm not, I'm not gonna miss the window no and i'm like a goaltender i'm like blocking the, the front for steps. three hours for three hours, and no one showed up. I called the company. The company's called Petro, and I said, "Hey, it's nine thirty. No one showed up." My, you know, and they said, "Our guy said he showed up. No one answered the door. He left a little card on your door." I go, "I'm on the door. No card. I've been here the whole time." And I didn't shout, but I was angry. Yeah, he could sense this. And then he replied, happy Thanksgiving, which felt passive aggressive. That, what, did, he, did he hang up? He was, no, he just said, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and it was a good tactical move in hindsight. It forced happy me to say happy Thanksgiving to you too. <laughs> like angry. Like, happy Thanksgiving to you too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, happy Thanksgiving. I said, happy Thanksgiving to you too. Even though he was completely fucking me over in real time and lying to me. <laughs> Like the pilgrims, um, so the guy, so the Petra guy, says the technician will come over to your house. That he's after the house he's currently at. Get a phone call at ten thirty. It's the technician, and he says I'm a half hour away. I say I'll stay up all night. So the man from Petra shows up at eleven fifteen p.m. He gets out of the van. He says I am Pedro, and I'm looking at his truck. And it says Petro, and I'm exhausted. Like I'm like out of it. And I'm thinking, there's no way his name is Pedro. And he works for a company named Petro. I can't possibly call him Pedro. Because he might be like, why would you call me the name of my company? And I'd be so embarrassed. So I go, come on in, man. And it got me self-conscious about my use of the word man. Yeah. I was like, Pedro's got to be 10 years older than me. I'm using the casual man all of a sudden. (laughs) So then I I modified. I go, right his way, sir. And then I thought, what am I, some kind of weird, blue-blooded, rich guy who calls everyone sir? <laughs> so Pedro and I work on this for a little bit, which means he works on it. I bring him tea. Yeah. At 1 a.m., Pedro says, I don't know what to tell you, Mike. I cannot fix this thing. I said, okay, sir. He tried to call his company, but his phone was doing an update. 
So I said, I'll call them. I said, hi, this is Mike Birbiglia. I'm here with, and I could see in Pedro's eyes that he really thought I should know his name by now. I said, the man from your company. <gasps> um, I'm going to put him on speaker so he can identify himself and explain the rest. So I put him on speaker and he says, hi, this is Pedro. I said, got it. Got it. In an evening full of failures, at least I know his name is Pedro. From that point on, I used the name Pedro a lot. <laughs> And I committed to memory by a mnemonic device, which is Pedro works for Petro. So Pedro tells me this is way over his head and that he's going to send a technician in the morning, first thing to fix it. Then he tells me to call Petro in the morning and explain that I have, that I have a baby and that this is dangerous. He knows I do not have a baby. So he knows my daughter's like five years old and we've talked about our kids. He knows we, I don't have a baby. He, we, he knows my daughter's five. We've talked about our kids at this point. We've spent a lot of time together, yeah. me and Pedro. Um, but apparently, if you want heat, you really have to raise the stakes. <laughs> you have to say you have a baby. And so in the morning, I wake up, I call, I go, you got to understand we got a baby. This baby might die. <laughs> oh, no. And you're all, you're all going to hell. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so at 1 p.m., uh, um, this guy Charlie comes over. And Charlie goes, I'm going to get you heat. And there's something about Charlie's confidence that makes me feel like he's going to get us heat. Yeah. It also made me want to have sex with Charlie, even though I'm a <laughs> heterosexual man, happily married. I just thought, Charlie's looking good. You're saving the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saving my hypothetical baby. Yeah. Char this is the line I wrote. I might get it out, but this is I wrote it for today. I wrote, Charlie brought the heat, which made me want to give him the heat. <laughs> oh, Maybe God. it's too much. Maybe it's too much. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be too much. It's something in that universe. Because I've done this on stage a couple of times and made me, made me want to have sex with Charlie is actually the biggest line in it right now. Yeah. Because I think there's something relatable about when someone, anyone, is wildly competent. Yeah. And you've been dealing with complete and total incompetence. Like, you're just like, oh, I'm, all, I'm, even, I'm attracted to this I person. I think we'll be even. physically intimate. Yes. I think, we'll be, I think it's time that we're physically intimate. Yeah. An hour later, Charlie fixes the heat, and I have a $100 bill in my wallet and nothing else. I never use cash. It just I ran a $100 bill. Charlie fixes the heat. I hand him a $100 bill. He goes, no, no, it's not a tipping thing. And you never know. And then I put, I, I take his hand and I, I, I put a hundred dollar bill in his hand and I go, Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, so, anyway, that's a new story. I've been doing that for uh, six weeks or something. The baby situation is getting worse and worse to me is the funniest line. That is the that's line. interesting. That is like this, <laughs> because it makes no sense. It makes no sense. But it, it, it conveys the entire idea of the the whole story is the baby situation is getting worse and worse. There's yes. so much in that sentence. So, oh, what I was going to say too was um, when the part after you learn his name, I wanted you to say his name so many more times when oh, you're talking about Oh, yes, it. yes. Pedro, come right in. I want to talk to you about something. Yeah, but like when you're something else, Pedro. But like, yeah, when you're talking to the audience about Pedro. Yeah. Like, and then Pedro told me to, um, like, told me to say I had a baby because Pedro and I have been talking. Oh, forever. that's so nice. Has, like, right from that so, point on, Pedro yeah, gets said 100 a hundred times, a million times. Yeah, yeah, I love like that. you never that's stop super saying strong. Pedro. Yeah, 
anyways, that's what I thought. You know, and maybe, and just as we're talking about it out loud, of like having the what made me want to have sex with Charlie. I mean, it made me want to have sex with Charlie, which goes to the the source of, of I think the reason I'm fixing the heat in the first place is I want my wife to want to have sex with me <laughs> the way that I want to have sex with Charlie. <laughs> I right? want to be Charlie. I want to be Charlie. I want to, I'm be, Charlie. to be Charlie. That makes sense. I mean, maybe that's what the story's about. You want to fix it. You want to fix it. I mean, like, there's a dual purpose happening in the story, and in in real life, certainly. It's like I'm always trying to impress my wife. I'm always trying to be like uh, awesome, and then uh, <laughs> and then with my daughter, I'm just trying. I mean, the, the whole thing of being a parent is about make sure they stay alive and warm. Yeah. So you're I, just like, I got to get them heat. Well, I think it honestly that story to cap it might be funny if you I start with the idea of like. Because you're on vacation, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. If this is a crossing a line, tell me. But like, no, please. Vacation, there is no crossing a line. Like, vacation sex, right? Okay, great. So you're like, I want this to be a nice, fun experience, but you don't have warmth. You are trying to get this fixed. Charlie finally leaves or whatever you go. And then after this whole, his name was Charlie, right? Yeah. Yeah. This whole situation is like, now I want to have sex with Charlie because like he's fixed this problem for me and he leaves. And then you're like, the door closes and you're like, where were we? <laughs> like kind oh, of like resuming this like- this is a way too long of a setup for a very simple premise of like things that just happen in normal life. Also, that could not be funny in any way. And then you no, found no, $5. I think that's interesting. I think that there, it's worth an experiment actually to do something in the universe of talking about my relationship with my wife and I'm always trying to impress her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one time we were on vacation, blah, 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 and there was no heat and I was yeah. like, I'm gonna save the day. Yeah, more like that. You know like what I mean? you wanna fix the situation. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then like they leave and you're just like, I did it. And I told we, you I would do it. And then we had sex, and I <laughs> pretended it was Charlie. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't think, I think we're telling different stories. No, no, no. It's yes ending, and wherever it goes, it goes. No, I think that's, I, I love that. And I, I think that, yeah, there's a lot. Well, then a lot of the stuff I'm talking about in, on stage lately in the Working It Out shows has been about marriage and domesticity. And I'm trying to figure out, and I wonder if you deal with this with, with your videos, because I think you have probably a really young audience actually, is like you you probably have a lot of fans who aren't married, don't maybe aren't in a relationship and relate to what you're doing. It's like, why, why do you think they relate to you talking about being married? I, you'd be shocked. The, the widest demographic I have is women that are like 35 to 45 married, married. and okay. like in relationships. And yeah. so I find it harder actually to create content that people relate to when I am talking about like younger things, yeah. which is really like everyone can relate to a funny story from your childhood. So you yeah. don't have to be that age to relate to that. But like a lot of the stuff when I, like I don't talk about being a mom a lot, but when I do, it is like, all the comments of like, oh my God, me too. And like yes. people are looking for that. And yes. so to me, it's like, that's where I, I see the most un, uh, like I don't expect that kind of relatability because I just forget that people connect to me that are not my age. It's really interesting. So the final thing we do is called Working It Out for a Cause. And it's any organization that you think does a good job and we contribute to them and then we link to them in the show notes. Yes, National Birth Equality Collaborative. Mm -hmm. um, at, so the United States is like the only industrialized like country that the um, maternal mortality rate is like increasing all of the time. Yes. We have like not figured it out. And especially for like um, marginalized communities, like black pregnant people like yeah. are, do not get the care that they need. Yeah. And it's just wild to me. And, and once I became pregnant, I just realized how scary it is that you just rely on the people around you. And like, you just have to trust people that you know nothing yeah. about. And your life is just like 
in someone else's hands. So uh, this organization just basically like really focuses on care uh, for people in like just marginalized communities that they get the, the care that they need when they're pregnant, after birth, like the, the babies, like before birth and after, like all of it. It's just a complete situation. And Well, I'm gonna contribute to them. We're right. gonna link to them in the show notes, encourage people to contribute as well. Yeah. Elise, this is uh, such a joy. And then yeah. our next our next goal is we, we got to get you on stage yep. telling stories yeah. to a group of strangers. Yes. Because it's going to bring joy to the world. We're going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to shake on that. We're going to shake. I promise. <laughs> working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no one. That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. I loved uh, that chat with Elise Myers. Uh, I hope that's the first of many. Uh, you should uh, check out her podcast. It's called Funny Because It's True. It is a very original podcast. I really couldn't recommend it more highly. You can follow her on Instagram and TikTok at, at Elise Myers, E-L-Y-S-E-M-Y-E-R-S. You can watch the full video of this interview on our YouTube page at Mike Birbiglia um, soon. Uh, hopefully either now or tomorrow or the next day, but very, 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 very soon. Uh, we just posted our first episode on YouTube for our hundredth episode. We had Ira Glass and people wrote all these nice comments to the point where people commented on how it was the nicest comment section they'd ever been on, on YouTube, which made me, uh, so happy. Uh, the Elise video should be up there in a couple days. Check that out. Subscribe because we're going to be posting more and more videos. Check out Burbigs.com to sign up for the mailing list. Be the first to know all about my upcoming shows. For example, the Philadelphia shows are sold out and the Providence shows are sold out. However, I'm doing, uh, there's a few more tickets in, for my shows in Levittown, Long Island, and as well as Sag Harbor, uh, which is in the Hamptons, and it's gorgeous little town. It's the Bay Street Theater. I did two shows at this Bay Street Theater, which I did last summer. I did The Old Man in the Pool last summer. This summer, all new material. Completely new show. Just working out new material. More new cities coming soon where I'm working on new material. And of course, I'll be in London and Scotland in the summer and the fall. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salomon and Joseph Berbiglia, associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish, assistant producers Gary Simons and Lucy Jones, sound mix by Shub Saren, supervising engineer Kate Belinsky. I'd like to thank the great Monique Carboni, who has taken awesome photos for us in these new episodes in the new studio that was built by our friend Eddie Lewis. You can check out her work on Instagram. We always tag her in the photos of hers that we post. Special thanks to Graham Willoughby. Uh, also, you can follow him on Instagram as well, who helped us with uh, a lot of the cinematography uh, in the Ira Glass episode. Really, a lot of people have commented on how cool it looks. And that is all Graham Willoughby. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall, as well as David Raphael and Nina Quick. My consigliere is Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. Special thanks to my wife, the poet J-Hope Stein. Little Astronaut is in bookstores now. Special thanks, as always, to my daughter, Una, who built the original radio fort made of pillows. And thanks, most of all, to you who are listening. If you're enjoying the show, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Maybe in the, in the spirit of how Elise Myers tells stories, make a video, post it online. Go, this video goes out to all my enemies, and I want to make peace with you. And while I'm doing that, I want to recommend a podcast called Mike Birbiglia's Working It Out. 
Make that video, tag your enemies, and then maybe, maybe, turn off the comments. Because who knows? Thanks, everybody. See you next time.